Hello, Beth DeCoon and anyone else who happens to be watching or listening. We are in our study of the book of Yehoshua or Joshua. This week, we're in chapter 9. And in this chapter, we read about how the Gibeonites or the Hivites, residents of an area about six miles from Ai, deceive the Israelites into cutting a covenant with them after recognizing that they are doomed if they don't. The Israelites cut the covenant with them before they really realize the deception and commit to honoring their word anyway, something the Hivites were counting on, and so their scheme pays off. However, the Hivites aren't simply spared, but become perpetual servants to Israel and to God. So that's the overview. So let's go ahead and dive in. Grab your Bibles and turn to Joshua 9. I'll be reading again this week from the Tree of Life version, which is a Messianic version or translation of uh, the Bible that I highly recommend. So here we go, Joshua 9. Now when all the kings who were west of the Jordan, in the hill country, in the lowland, and along the shore of the great sea to the vicinity of Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites heard about it, they gathered themselves together as a unified alliance to fight against Joshua and Israel. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and I, they acted craftily. They went and traveled as ambassadors, took worn-out sacks for their donkeys and worn-out wineskins, cracked and patched up along with worn-out, patched-up sandals on their feet and worn-out clothes on them. All the bread of their provision was dry and had become crumbly. Then they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, We have come from a far country, so now make a treaty covenant with us. Then the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you are living among us. How then should we make a covenant with you? But they said to Joshua, Well, we are your servants. Then Joshua asked them, who are you? Where do you come from? So they replied to him, Your servants have come from a very distant country because of the name of Adonai your God. For we have heard the report of him and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to the king Sihon of Cheshbon and to king Og of Bashan, who was at Ashtarot. So our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us, saying, Take provisions in your hand for the journey. Go to meet them and say to them, We will be your subjects, so now make a treaty covenant with us. This is our bread, which was hot when we took it for our provision from our homes on the day we left to come to you. But now behold, it is dry and crumbly. And these wineskins, which, we uh, which we were new when we filled them, but now see, they are cracked. Also, these our garments and our sandals are worn out because of the very long journey. So the men of Israel took some of their provisions and did not seek counsel from Adonai's mouth. So Joshua made peace with them and cut a covenant with them to let them live, and the leaders of community swore to them. But it came about at the end of three days after they had cut a covenant with them, they heard they were their neighbors. And were living among them. So Bnei Israel journeyed and came to their cities on the third day. 
Now, their cities were Gibeon, Chephira, Be'erot, and Kiriath-Jerim. But Bnei Israel did not strike them because the leaders of the community had sworn to them by Adonai, God of Israel. Then the entire community murmured against the leaders, but all the leaders answered the entire community, We have sworn to them by Adonai, God of Israel, so now we cannot touch them. This is what we will do to them. We will let them live, lest wrath be upon us because of the oath which we swore to them. Yes, let them live, the leaders said further. But let them chop wood and draw water for the entire community. So the leaders decreed concerning them. Then Joshua summoned them, and he spoke to them, saying, Why have you deceived us, saying, We are very far from you, when you are living among us? Now therefore you are cursed, and you will never cease to be servants, woodchoppers and water carriers for the house of my God. So they answered Joshua and said, It was because your servants were clearly told that Adonai your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land before you. So we were very afraid for our lives because of you, and so we did this. Now behold, we are in your hand. Whatever seems good and right in your eyes to do to us, do. Thus he did to them, delivering them from the hand of Bnei Yisrael. So they did not slay them. On that day, Joshua made them woodchoppers and water carriers for the community and for the altar of Adonai in the place which he would choose. So it is to this day. And thus ends Joshua chapter 9. All right, so going back through, we're going to go through this verse by verse as usual. Uh, And I do confess that this week I have been a little distracted by some of the uh, exciting things we're doing at Beth Takun. Um, uh, my ADD has really kicked in, and, and so I've been uh, a little bit lax in my study this week. So you'll forgive me if if, if what I share this week is not quite as um, coherent or connected. Maybe it's coherent. I hope it's coherent. Um, but uh, but give me some give me a little bit of grace, please, uh, as we do this. Uh, there are some things though I do want to draw out that I think are are relevant and will be valuable uh, to you as, as they were to me. So, starting from the top, verse 1. Now, when all the kings who were west of the Jordan in the hill country and the lowland and along the shore of the great sea to the vicinity, of, the vicinity of Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites heard about it, they gathered themselves together as a unified alliance to fight against Joshua and Israel. Here we see uh, the nations coming together into a unity against Joshua and Israel. And you could say that because there are six nations represented here, six being the number of, of man, that this is a picture of the world uniting against Yeshua and God's people. Uh, so this is, that's what this kind of uh, archetypal um, interaction may be, and that I'll leave, I'll leave you to discuss that if you wish. Uh, so that, that's kind of what we're picturing here. Verse 3, but when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard that Joshua, what Joshua had done to Jericho and I, they acted craftily. They went and traveled as ambassadors, took worn-out socks for their donkeys and worn-out wineskins, cracked and patched up. 
And it's, I want to give a little bit of context to, to this that will help uh, understand why the Gibeonites, the, the Hivites, did what they did. Uh, and I get this context from an ancient rabbi, um, Maimonides. Uh, and let me just quote um, from, uh, from his text. It's forbidden to declare war against any nation without first offering to make peace, and this applied even to the Canaanite nations. Accordingly, before Israel crossed the Jordan, Joshua sent three messages to the Canaanite kings. One, they were free to evacuate the land and they would not be harmed. Two, if they wished to remain, they must accept the following terms, keep the seven Noahide laws of universal morality, pay taxes, and perform national service. Or three, if they refused to leave or accept the terms of peace, they would face total war. The Gurkhashite nation accepted the first choice and migrated to Africa. All the other Canaanite nations rejected Joshua's overture. The Gibeonites were included among the rejectionists, but later they had a change of heart. Mistakenly, they thought it was too late to accept Joshua's second alternative and remain at peace in Eretz Yisrael, in the land of Israel. So they devised an elaborate ruse to deceive Joshua and the leaders of Israel. So their first mistake was that they uh, believed it was too late to accept uh, another of the uh, alternatives to war. And that the, that the only, way they, only way they could save themselves was to do something drastic. Interestingly here in this verse, um, it says they acted craftily. All right, So this, uh, to me, I think, harkens back to a passage in Exodus, Exodus 21, 14. It's, and there's some, some relationships here to, to this whole chapter in this verse. It says, If a man presumes to kill his neighbor with craftiness, you are to take him from my altar and put him to death. So the crafty Gibeonites couldn't be put to death, though, because of the covenant Israel made with them. So, And, and we'll see that here in a little while. So then we see a tie-in later on to the altar of God. So there's some connections there for you guys to discuss, uh, if you wish. I think that there's some, something rich there to be uh, unearthed. Verse 5. <clears throat> Along with worn-out, patched-up sandals on their feet and worn-out clothes on them, all the bread of their provision was dry and had become crumbly. Then they went to Joshua in the camp of Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, We have come from a far country, so now make a treaty covenant uh, with or for us. Um, this is a lie, of course. This is, this is, this is the deception. Um, they're not from a far country. They're from a, a land about six miles from Ai. Um, they're being deceitful here. Uh, and, and this covenant they seek is self-serving. Covenants are traditionally mutually beneficial. Uh, and here we see a request of a covenant to be cut for them. So it's something that would favor the Gibeonites. Uh, now, your Bible may translate uh, this passage, and there are several several instances of this throughout this chapter. Your Bible may translate it as make a covenant with us, uh, but the Hebrew here, uh, kirtu lanu berit, 
would be better translated as, as cut a covenant for us, which is not typical of the language of cutting a covenant. It's usually with, and it, it implies that kind of reciprocity. There's a, a mutually beneficial thing, uh, outcome. But here is covenant for us. Uh, they're trying to deceive the Israelites by when they say they're from a far country by tipping the scales in their favor as far as this kind of covenant, if that makes sense. Um, but here's the deception. Uh, it's also uh, deceptive how they have clothed themselves and presented themselves as if they had been traveling for uh, a great, great while. Verse 7, Then the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you are living among us. How then should we make a covenant for you? So the Israelites aren't entirely dumb. Uh, they're seeing through the Hivites' claim, or the Gibeonites' claim, to be from far off. They're skeptical of their request, as they should be, and they, they push back a little. But they say to Joshua, verse 8, We are your servants. Then Joshua asks them, Who are you? Where do you come from? So here is, is more of the deception. And I don't know if, and David, you may, able, be, may be able to, to uh, clarify something here for me. I don't know that this is so much deception. It sounds kind of like uh, being sociopath, uh, being manipulative. Like, how here's a lie, and, and uh, we need to craft some more lies on top of it to, to, to maintain the first lie. Um, so they're placing themselves in this subservient position here, filling out the deception of, of respect um, for, uh, for Israel. It's, it's really it's not, it's just not good. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I hope you don't do that in your own life. Um, uh, so verse 9, uh, so they replied to him, your, your servants, again, with this flattering language, uh, not flattering, but subservient language, your servants have come from a very distant country. Again, lie. Because of the name of Adonai, your God, for we have heard the report of him and all that he did in Egypt. So they continue to lie while referring to themselves as your servants. So placing themselves in a lower position. Uh, verse 10, and all, that he, and all that he did to the, to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, the king of Sihon of Heshbon and the king of Og of Bashan, who was at Ashtarot. So our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us, saying, Take provisions in your hand for the journey. Go to meet them and say to them, We will be your subjects. So now make a treaty covenant for us. This is our bread, which was hot when we took it for our provision from our homes on the day we left to come to you. Lie. Uh, but now behold, it is dry and crumbly. That's true, but that's not, it's not because they traveled so far. Verse 13, And these wineskins, which, we which were new when we filled them, but now see, they are cracked. Also, these are garments and our sandals are worn out because of the very long journey. Lie, 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 lie. Verse 14, so the men of Israel took some of their provisions and did not seek counsel from Adonai's mouth. So they relied on, what, on the evidence and made a judgment, um, which was a mistake, right? Verse 15, so Joshua made peace for them and cut a covenant for them to let them live. And the leaders of the community swore to them. So this was all about just... Uh, the, the Gibeonites saving themselves. Um, the, the, there was no um, uh, there was no intent for this to be some kind of mutually beneficial arrangement. Uh, and uh, it's not a great deal, <laughs> not, not a great covenant to be cutting. 
Verse 16, but it came about at the end of three days, after they had cut a covenant for them, they heard that they were their neighbors and were living among them. So the deception is discovered, okay, after the covenant is cut. Uh, and by the way, the, 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 the term cutting a covenant is, is the traditional way of describing it because it implies or, or harkens back to when a, an animal is cut in the covenant. Um, so that's, that's why that, that language is in this translation used instead of um, making a covenant or, or, uh, or what have you. Moving on, uh, verse 17. So B'nai Israel journeyed and came to their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, uh, Hephira, Be'erot, and Kiriath Yerim. But B'nai Israel did not strike them because the elders of the community had sworn to them by Adonai, God of Israel. Then the entire community murmured against the leaders. So here we see that, that the Gibeonites' plan, well, maybe not their plan, but an outcome of what their actions were, was causing some friction between the Israelites and the leaders, the leaders who cut this covenant with this people. Uh, perhaps the Israelites, um, the people of the Israelites, uh, knew a little bit more than the leaders did about who these people were, um, but weren't, uh, weren't consulted. Uh, anyway, so, so there's, there's murmuring against the leaders. Verse 19. But all the leaders answered the entire community, we have sworn to them by Adonai, God of Israel, so now we cannot touch them. This covenant was not a great covenant, uh, obviously. But because the leaders of Israel obligated themselves and they are a covenant people, they will abide by it and they'll keep their word. This, again, is uh, what the Gibeonites were counting on. They took this risk counted on the integrity of the Israelites in order to save them. Verse 20, this is what we will do to them. We will let them live, lest wrath be upon us because of the oath which we swore to them. In other words, we'll keep our end of the bargain, uh, despite the people grumbling that we should have seen this for what it was. All right. 21, yes, let them live, the leaders said further, but let them chop wood and draw water for the entire community. So the leaders decreed concerning them. The leaders here uh, allow them to become part of the, not necessarily part of Israel, but part of the community in service to Israel, uh, basically as, as uh, I wouldn't say punishment, but as, as a, I, I don't know, what, what would you say here, David? Um, uh, trying trying to make make things equal, trying to make things even. Maybe that's a good way to put it. Verse twenty two. Then Joshua summoned them and he spoke to them, saying, "Why have you deceived us, saying we are very far from you, when you are living among us? Now, therefore, you are cursed, and you will never cease to be servants, wood choppers, and water carriers, for the house of my God." Uh, we must understand here that the word curse doesn't mean that something demonic or evil will come upon them. Uh, that's kind of a way in which we use the word in modern times. Um, but a curse in, in God's vocabulary and in his economy is basically him putting a negative thing into their lives. And because we trust God, and unlike the, the Hivites, 
We know that any negative is for an eventual and ultimate positive. Any curse is really to bring about a, a different blessing. Okay, so let's just understand that. Um, you will cease to be, or you will never cease to be servants is the negative. That's the negative. However, for the house of my God is the positive. It's a curse and a blessing in the form of close service to Beit Elohim, the house of God. Um, in other words, you will have a much bigger eye on you after what you did. Um, another example would be, uh, or, you know, a, a practical example would be if a neighborhood kid comes and does something deceitful or harmful to my kid, um, a, a just punishment would be, okay, now that kid has to come and work with me for a little while at my job <laughs> or has to help clean up my garage. And we work I worked that out with his dad or something like that. So it's, it's basically saying, okay, you can be here, but, but you're going you're gonna to be servants and you're going to serve in, in, the, uh, in the house of God. Um, moving on, verse 24. So they answered Joshua and said, It was because your servants were clearly told that Adonai your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land before you. So we were very afraid for our lives because of you, and so we did this. Relying only on uh, the facts of a situation and, and, and what their intellect, what the uh, Gibeonites' intellect concluded about what could happen to their people, the fear of destruction alone is what motivated them to seek a covenant, to seek some kind of arrangement, whether they did it deceitfully or honestly. This was their motivator. They didn't seek peace with Israel, um, and God, uh, um, out of love or wanting to be one with them. If you remember Rahab, uh, she had heard the same stories about God and His mighty deliverance of Israel, and there were other some there were some other similarities there too. But she wanted to be part of Israel, and so her deception was that she deceived the rulers of her people to secure for herself and her family a place in the family of God. The Hivites, while they also wanted to secure safety for themselves, deceived Israel and and attempted to deceive God instead. Uh, Fatal mistake there. Verse 25, Now behold, we are in your hand. This is the Gibeonites speaking. Whatever seems good and right in your eyes to do to us, do. So, they get what they wanted, um, though maybe not entirely, or maybe with some added responsibility, and that they'll undoubtedly learn uh, the consequences of this as they move forward in, in service to Israel and to Adonai. Verse 25, Thus he did to them, delivering them from the hand of B'nai Israel, so they did not slay them. On that day, Joshua made them wood choppers and water carriers for the community and for the altar of Adonai. There it is, the altar. Altar of Adonai in the place which he would choose. So it is to this day. And I'll recall you back to Exodus 21, 14, as I uh, said earlier. 
If a man presumes to kill his neighbor with craftiness, um, and that, that, that's the same word that is used in verse 4 of this chapter, uh, acted craftily, you were to take him from my altar and put him to death. The situation here, though, was that they couldn't put him to death, so they had to now serve uh, uh, as wood choppers and water carriers for the community and for the altar of Adonai in the place which he would choose. I think the Hivites made it more difficult on themselves than they needed to. Uh, it could have been done better uh, for them like it did for Rahab, like it, like it was done for Rahab, but they relied too much on their own understanding and their own strategy to bring about their safety. Uh, and they got some curse mixed in there with the blessing. Um, so if what, if what we read from Maimonides and the ancient rabbis is true, they had their chance, uh, an initial chance, uh, and then they realized that they were not going to survive this. But instead of seeking peace, they sought to take control of their destiny themselves and uh, deceive the Israelites into sparing them. Um, and the effects of which we'll read about um, as, we, as we read on in Joshua and then also in, um, what was it, First Samuel? David, yeah, the story of Saul. The story of Saul. Yeah, we'll read about we'll read about them again in in Samuel. So, okay, so that's that's Joshua nine, and you know I I'm I'm going to be transparent here. I was trying to find some connection, and this is something that maybe you guys can do in your discussions. I was trying to find the connection here with, or the relationship between Gibeon, the Hivites. And Jericho and I. If Jericho is a representation of the the spiritual battle, and I is a representation of the physical and fleshly battle uh, or struggle or way in which we war or the tendencies, Gibeon represents what Gibeon is doing here represents the the soulish man. Um, all three of these we read about in 1 Corinthians 2, uh, 2 verse 6 uh, to 3 verse 4, chapter 3 verse 4. Each of those are, are described, the spiritual man, the soulish man, and the, and the fleshly man. But it wasn't landing for me. And I know this is, this is a strange way to do a teaching to say, yeah, I, wanted, I thought I could find something, but it wasn't quite landing, so maybe you can find it. But you all are really smart um, and I think that you might be able to find something there, or at least talk about it. I think I think there's something there. I just couldn't quite uh, get to it uh, by the time we recorded. So, so I apologize for that. But but there is a, there is a, an exercise for you to to look at yourself again. That's First Corinthians two verse six through chapter three verse four. Uh, I will end with this quote, and then I'll ask you all some questions. Uh, but this quote is a, a quote by William Barclay, and this is something that Grant had shared during his teaching, uh, I think, on 1 Timothy uh, several years ago. And it, it's related to what, where the Gibeonites ended up and what it is that we as good people, spiritual people, should be doing anyway. And this is what he says. The last thing a good person will do will be to seek to stand aloof from others. So what do we know about the Gibeonites? They, were, they, they lived among, but kind of on the outskirts. They, 
They lived there from a land not too far away. They weren't interested in really being a part of the community. They just wanted to be spared, right? They wanted to be maybe left alone. So again, the last thing a good person will do will be to seek to stand aloof from others. On the contrary, the person will seek to be among them at their worst, serving God by serving them. The good person's glory will not be in exemption from service. It will be in still more demanding service. So what happens with the, these, the Gibeonites? They not only have to serve, but they have to serve in a more demanding and in, in, in a deeper way. But they're forced to do this. Ending the quote, no Christian should ever think of being fit for honor, but always as becoming fit for service. So again, the Hivites, the Gibeonites, for their deception were forced into the kind of service that good people like you would seek to do anyway. So I'll leave you with some questions, some discussion questions. Um, How could the Hivites have achieved their objective of being spared without the use of deception? How have you deceived yourself or others in the past in order to succeed, and what was the outcome? Being completely honest, how faithful to your word do you tend to be? Do you say you'll do something knowing that you might not? Was there a time in your life when you kept your word even when you shouldn't have given it? And how has God brought you closer in service to him after your own missteps? Well, that's all I have for this teaching on Joshua chapter 9. I look forward to seeing you again uh, next week as we dive into chapter 10. And until then, bless you all, and may God make us into the people he wants us to be. Shalom.